This week, I was talking to Luna Manarama, and we... I go into this into the into the interview with her, but we first met in her kitchen. Um, she lives at a share house, which I go to regularly. Um, my my girlfriend actually lives there, so I'm I'm there quite a bit. And actually, these days I don't have a, a house. I'm not homeless, but I'm still in the process of finding a new home and starting a new share house myself. So anyway, w- one day we're in the kitchen. We started talking about creativity and the artist way came up and uh and i just i just got interested i knew luna was a very creative person but knew nothing about her creative endeavors or what it was she she did and what her journey was with her own creativity and you know finding it discovering it and expressing it i've split that into two parts so you'll hear the first part this week and the second part will be online next week because there's just so much information to digest in each of those halves that I wanted to leave some space between them so you could digest everything that was said. This week we'll be talking about creativity, the different blocks that can happen along the way, uh, the the getting in, stuck in the mindset of should and shouldn't and saying and and finding the balance between saying yes to social occasions and also having enough time for yourself to tune into your inner creative voice and have the time and energy to begin expressing that and in the second part we'll be talking more about the artist way as a tool for creative discovery and reconnecting with our sense of <laughs> I just had a blank moment. <laughs> Everything was going so well. Um, in the second part of the interview, which will which will go up next week, next Sunday, we're talking about the artist way and the different tools that are associated with it, the experience of using it, and also you know just the benefits that come from it. And a big part of the artist way is rediscovering or actually clearing the way for the innate flow, the inherent flow to come forth. So that's, that's a really interesting one. I, I, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of that, that book. Um, I've gone through the course myself. Anyway, enough talking. Here is the first part of our talk. Same yoga studio. But you were also at Blazing Swan. No. No. Never been. Okay. Yeah. But I have one of those faces. Everyone thinks that they've seen me somewhere or I look exactly like their best friend's cousin or the person they were best friends with in primary school. Yeah, because I remember, I think one time I was visiting you here, like in your... Yeah. Well, you live with Julia and, um, and SJ. Yeah. And... I was visiting and you're like, hey, yeah, we've met before. And yeah. I didn't remember, but you did. Yeah, yeah. 
And I, I have this memory of me. Yeah, it, would, it was at yoga. Yeah. It was at yoga. It was at yoga um, because we both have those really bright, colorful leggings. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember because uh, you sat next to me once. And I think it was the first time I'd seen a guy wearing that brand of leggings. And I was so excited, but obviously I didn't know you, so I wasn't about to like, grab you and say, <laughs> we're legging twins. <laughs> because those leggings are amazing. Yeah, yeah. they were uh, a gift actually. Oh, they're amazing. Um, at Blazing Swan, they oh, gifted so to me. Oh, so good. Yeah. Uh, I'm really happy with them. Yeah. And should probably do some more yoga. I haven't been yeah. doing, doing enough yoga. Yeah. <laughs> I think those leggings require you to do regular yoga. That's my feeling about them. Yeah. 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 My like you're allowed to have them, but you have to do lots of yoga in order to continue having them. I agree. It's like a, a, a yoga license. Yeah. I, it, feel, I feel bad every time I see mine sitting down the bottom of the drawer. <laughs> Abandoned. I haven't been to yoga in so long. I think I brought. Yeah, I've got them in the car. So yeah. Or here. I don't know. Maybe yoga tomorrow. I don't know. Anyway. <laughs> um. So we're talking because yes. the other day I was here and we were like, the artist way came up. Yep. And I was like, whoa, hang on, hang on a minute. And we started talking a little bit more about that. And I was asking you quite a bit about your your creative journey. Mm. And. I could tell you only gave me like the tiniest little bits because we only had so much time and um, yeah, I can sense that you've gone through quite a bit in terms mm -hmm. of like discovering your own voice yeah, in yeah. that department and yeah. so I thought it'd be really good to sit down with you and um, dive a bit deeper into that Yeah, just to see where it started and some, maybe some of the challenges you've come through and how you've yeah. come through them and all that. Do you have like a memory of where... Of, some initial moment of creativity that I have a very early creativity memory. Like I'm sure everyone's got lots of them from childhood. Really. We spend so much time in that perfect creative free flow creation space as kids. Um, but I remember when I talk about my poetry practice, I always say to people, that's the thing I've done the longest. And part of that is that I remember being about four or five and, um, painting poems because I didn't know how to put the language together. So my, my grandma was an artist and a writer. And I remember sitting at her kitchen table and doing abstract watercolors to try and give some kind of color language to emotions. And I remember my mum asking me what I was painting and me looking up at her and saying, confusion. <laughs> Mum's incredulous response to my being whatever size I was, tiny little kid, being like, this one's confusion. This one is surprise. <laughs> this one is love. Um, so I feel, like for me, when I'm sort of reflecting on the space that my, my poetry occupies in my brain and the weird liminal connections um, that happen when you're working particularly with language where what you're dealing with is not so much the object itself, the word. What you're really dealing with is the way that it responds to other objects around it. It creates this whole other alchemal situation around it where to a reader you're sort of pulling on threads of emotion and things it's it's not as simple as it seems you're working a pattern to get a particular response um and i think that was that's the earliest memory of me doing that craft particularly as opposed to just sort of creative play deliberately trying to evoke something right. tangible from 
an abstract space. Right, those yeah. early watercolour impressions of emotions or yeah. feelings. Yeah, yeah, and I think because when that sort of evolved into me using language, that was, for me, it feels like exactly the same thing. It was just I was doing a visual interpretation of what then became a language-based practice. Yeah. So what brought you into poetry rather than, say, creative, like more, more of a narrative-based or, a, yeah, prose, I guess you would call it? Um, well, I, I mean, I've, I fluctuated backwards and forwards, I suppose, when I was young. Um, I always sort of leant towards writing for expression when I was a child and then um, played around with everything. For a long time, poetry wasn't my thing. I think all the way up until maybe I was 15 or 16, poetry wasn't my thing. I had written poems, but they hadn't really, I suppose, captivated my heart to the extent that they did later on. It was um, more I was writing certainly lyrical and poetic prose in stories um, and mostly short stories. And then I went through a really strange transition, I guess, where um, I dropped out of the space where I was writing, um, even even as short stories, they were quite long. I just had more of a, a narrative kind of space. That I guess they just got shorter and shorter and shorter and shorter until um, I suppose I got my teeth into, um, I don't know, uh, the lust that I have for cutting out words but deepening meaning. <laughs> uh, and once I got my teeth sunk into that, I suppose it became um, as much about a head challenge as it was a soul and heart kind of function. Um, but, yeah, because you're working, you're working the language. You're trying to say as little as you can while saying the absolute most that you can, um, which is an like, incredible challenge and deeply deeply satisfying on so many levels, I suppose. And I think once I went through that and I spent um, so long being really rigorous about reducing words, then it was really hard to backtrack. And I just find that that isn't the space that I work in anymore. That's not what comes to me anymore. I think it's like uh, when you tune a radio and I think that's one of the really remarkable things about creativity is that people are innately creative, of course, in their way. Um, and those of us that are working in creative spaces and are keeping that channel open uh, are working with completely different frequencies, you know, and we can all stand around each other all the time and we might go and see um, a wonderful show. For example, I have a really great friend who's a dancer. We go and see a great show together and what comes from that for me is performance art. I see immediately performance art and immediately um, vocalised sort of poetic experimental performance and I hear lines and I see the power of colours clashing together and, and becoming words. And what she sees is gesture and motif and symbol through movement. And so from the one thing, the sort of that creative muse, I suppose, works through us in completely different ways. Very interesting. Um, and I think that's just, I think I just tuned into to poetry and the channel got locked. <laughs> yeah. But obviously there's been some evolution over the years. I mean, like when, yeah. when, when do you feel like you were pretty, uh, like, estab not established, um, comfortable mm. and realised you weren't going back or you didn't have any inclination to go back to prose or, yeah, when were you comfortably in poetry? Um, not that recently, really. I think, look, I suppose part of the battle is I always have some ideas that I know are stories, but I don't necessarily have the toolkit for telling those stories at this moment. I don't know that I will never go back to storytelling. Um, certainly I found a really weird little loophole, which is I love myth, tell myth writing, um, and particularly in the sort of the, the traditional sense of um, stories with morals or 
lessons in them or something. I find, I find myths really easy and I love writing little myths about sort of the beginning of the sun and the moon or where the sun, where the stars came from or the wind or that kind of thing. I find those things come very naturally to me. But when I try and write different kinds of stories, it's just more complicated. And I suppose probably it was only like two years ago, I think where I've published, published a, enough poetry to feel comfortable in saying I am a poet as much as that's a ridiculous thing because it's an external validation, but what can you do? Governed by my head sometimes. Um, and, uh, and uh, I guess, and then also having demonstrated myself enough that my poetic practice is something I can really lean on and I can, I can say comfortably that um, not only do I have a natural inclination in that direction, I've worked on that skill regularly for most of my life. So I'm confident in that capability. I'm confident as a wordsmith. Okay. Yeah. That being a skill that you've worked on, w yeah. w I'm thinking back to my own sort of creative journey. Yeah. I don't know if you've ever experienced this, where there's something you realize, wow, I really enjoy this. Let's yeah. take this seriously. Like, let's, let's really push, like, let's really try this out. Yeah. And all the time I used to be, at that point, I would, it would go from being this fun kind of spontaneous thing yeah. to then, you know, I would just sort of get so, um, I'd put all this pressure on myself mm. to try harder, like, cool, take this seriously now. And somehow I interpreted that to mean try harder and produce amazing results that make people go, wow. Yeah. Immediately. And <laughs> right. Okay. So you've experienced some of that? Oh yeah, absolutely. I think, I think that's an ongoing battle with a creative practice. Um, and particularly in a world where, um, I suppose with the, with contemporary Australian arts, the way that it is, there's this sense of the arts industry now. And with an industry comes the notion of a career and a career has a trajectory and it has stepping stones and you move one rung, run, one rung of the ladder to the next one, to the next one, to the next one, which means that, um, you have this preconceived idea of what the next step for you is what the right thing is, what you should be doing. So I should be doing this by now. I should be doing this by now. Um, I should be performing here. I should be publishing there. I should be putting this out. I should be working with these people, you know, whatever. Mm. Um, and I think certainly people that I, in my peer group, everyone goes through those phases, no matter what it is that they've achieved so far. Um, it's easy to get caught up in the shoulds and the should runs completely counterintuitively to the, to the natural flow of creativity. You know, it is right up in the head. It's completely divorced from the heart and the, and the flow of creativity. Where do you think that should comes from? I mean, obviously there's, you're placing expectations. Yeah. We are placing expectations in ourselves mm. when we say, I should be doing this, I shouldn't be doing that. Mm. But where, where do you think that initial moment where we get the idea that we should be differently to how we are right now? Um, well, I think... I think there's a couple of different levels to that, but certainly in relationship to pushing yourself in art or creativity, I think that it comes from this sort of over two things. One, I feel that we've become very um, driven by the sense of a, a marketplace in terms of things. I watch a lot of artists um, under a lot of pressure for marketing themselves and a lot of business ethics stuff has kind of filtered its way down into art. You know, how are you promoting yourself? Who are you networked with? Where are you sharing your work um, as opposed to being in that space of what are you feeling? Are you sharing it? <laughs> That's sort of the only two requirements, right. you know. Right. <laughs> um, 
And part of it, I feel, comes from the Facebook thing where we're visible all the time. We're marketing to our friends all the time. We're curating our own spaces all of the time. Um, and it becomes very hard then to give yourself the space to go through the, pro go through the process. Uh, and that was really exemplified by things um, like the 365 project the sort of idea that went around for a while. I don't know if you saw that sort of, you know, um, I think it came from a photographer to begin with that was um, one photo every day. 365 days of the year as a way of being in practice all year. But what that sort of becomes when you put it on something like a, a social platform is demonstrating your creative capability every day to an external audience mm -hmm. uh, because the process was you commit to the project and you share the product every day. It's not as though you just vow to yourself to do it, even though obviously it has those connotations and it certainly has those outcomes. I certainly feel that there's another seed in there. It's this really dangerous thing of, can you put on a show 365 days of the year? Mm. And Okay, so are you saying it, it kind of slips into this other zone of like, it's no longer just this free flow of creativity when it wants to come out, when it's there, but it's, it's yeah, as you said, you're putting on a show, you have to show up every day. Otherwise, the show's off and the whole thing is... Got to be marketable. Ah, okay. <laughs> Demonstrate consistent practice. Right. So it's quite a delicate balance yeah. between uh, maintaining that creative integrity, staying true to that voice, yeah. and marketing yourself at the same time. And I think it ebbs and flows because it's not entirely possible to divorce from that completely because you do have to um, be able to do things like even apply for grants or apply for jobs or um, speak to somebody, you know, you might be at a party and you meet somebody who's actually a really amazing potential collaborator and you need to be able to present yourself powerfully in a very short period of time, which means um, it's of your benefit to know what your what your strong skill set is and to remember what the last three things you worked on were or, you know, whatever. Um, so it's sort of this, this weird thing where you have to stay in tune with the integrity of the process and have the ability to listen to what's coming through and make the space for that really, I think, is the only thing because you, you do it naturally. It's just listening. To yourself, like to what's you, inside. Yeah, yeah. To, to yourself and also to that thing, whatever that thing is that we tune into when you have a moment where a song comes through in one piece or a couple of lines of a play or a poem or a film or whatever, you see it, you hear it, um, you know, whatever it is, whatever is creating the space and keeping the integrity in that and knowing that that's the most important thing while at the same time having to generate the physical opportunities for yourself to exhibit that creativity. It's very challenging, yeah. you know. It's, and like, it's like we're trying, we have to keep them separate but also together. Yes, that's exactly right. And I mean, I know some fabulous artists who are not engaged in the arts industry at all. They're, they're completely off in their own space, literally just being artists. You know, they're wonderful, creative poets and musicians and avant-garde theatre makers, and they'll never really be involved in the, the arts industry. Um, and what they're making, of is, making is incredible value, but in, in following that pathway, you reduce who is engaged with that art. And I suppose it comes down then to... The whys, I suppose it all comes down to the whys, like the the who is it for, why are you making it mm. kind of a thing. I feel like the why might come first. Oh. I don't know, just how I'm seeing it right now. Yeah. Um, but I just wanted to go back briefly to, um, you mentioned listening, really listening to what's coming through. Yeah. How have you, how do you feel that? How do you sense that? Or how do you do that? Um, sometimes it happens 
sometimes it just happens. I think that's one of the things that the, with whatever that thing is, <laughs> sometimes it's unrelenting and you don't get any choice. You know, you're trying to sleep and you can't, you have to get up and do the thing at two in the morning. Uh, or for example, I lie in bed promising myself that I will definitely remember the first four lines of that poem that I've just heard as I'm going to sleep. And I definitely will remember this time, even though the last four times that hasn't happened. And I know there's no way to remember it except to get up and write it down and still I don't do it. <laughs> there's a bit of diligence of writing it down. Um, I think it's, I think it's a bunch of different things. Some of it, some of it is, some of it is discipline for me, keeping a pen on a page sometimes or creating the space literally to be dreaming, particularly when I'm um, coming up with performance practice stuff. And it looks as though I'm not doing anything. It means I have to have days where I'm not actually doing much because I'm creating an opportunity for my brain to empty out. Um, and it's a little bit, it's a little bit of that. And it's a little bit of, I don't know, all the things, yeah. <laughs> uh, keeping, keeping in touch with the way that's coming through in other people. I find going to shows, obviously being in things like gallery spaces or sound out performances or wandering around public art, or even just looking at graffiti in tiny little hidden corners in the city is all, it all feeds into that space. It, it enlivens and feeds the embers of that kind of fire, you know? Mm -hmm. And some of it's sort of health stuff as well. I suppose some people find inspiration in, um, in sort of being more off the rails. I mean, there's certainly creative energy, I think, in every kind of expression of living. That's for sure. There's stuff to be said in every kind of capacity of human existence. But for me, um, some modicum of things like sitting under trees and meditating helps. <laughs> that certainly helps with the flow. Okay. Yeah. Do you think, and I talked about um, mind, people having mindfulness practices, not just any people, but people who have sort of yeah. um, made quite a name for themselves. It's, mm. It seems quite common oh, yeah. um, that they have some kind of mindfulness practice. It doesn't necessarily have to be sitting down to meditate, mm. but they're all doing some kind of thing to come back into the moment and I guess tune in yeah, and be with, what is actually present with them. Yeah. How have you discovered that for yourself? Or have you always sort of had these natural times of downtime where you create space for yourself just to dream and just to be, to see what's going to come to the surface? Or A little bit, but less so. The, the older that I get and I think the more that the speed of everything around us increases, the harder it is and the more I have to work at it. I think it helps that in my head I have a, a different view of where I sit in relationship to the world, where I feel that I don't need to participate a lot of the time. I've, I've given myself permission not to participate in a lot of stuff. And that really helps because I don't feel bad about not going to something if everyone else that I know is going or missing out on something that sounds like it would be a really great thing. If I don't feel it, then I just don't go. Um, that's, that's quite a skill. Like, I mean, that's something, what you just said there, that's something I've struggled with for probably the majority of my life mm. up until this point. Yeah. And that only really changed for me once I started um, creating the space where I could just be with myself and started establishing yeah. a relationship, a friendship with yeah. myself. Yeah. And that, 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 that self-integrity got stronger. So yeah. I was no longer like, oh my God, this person invited me to this show. I have yeah. to go yeah. because they might not invite me again. Yeah. You know, it was out of this sort of scarcity of, 
Oh, the fear of yeah, missing out. I don't know that either is particularly better because even in the in the way that I'm practicing, it can be quite isolating. Like as a teenager and as a child, I think it developed partially because my imagination is so overactive a lot of the time that I was like particularly bizarre for some of my friends. So I got used to being in spaces where sometimes I was playing with my friends and sometimes I was playing off imagining by myself because that's what my brain kind of required and people didn't always understand what the hell I was going on about. And so I sort of cultivated that space. Um, and I, I think that's a, it's a balancing act again as well. You know, I still have, I have to remind myself to go to things sometimes. Sometimes I have to, sometimes I have to do the reverse where I need to be really conscious of checking in with myself because I'm saying no to stuff when actually what I really want is to go out and spend the night dancing okay. or go to a dinner party or go for a walk with a friend or something, you know, it can, it can go, it swings the other way as well. And why are you saying no? Like, what are you saying yes to with that? No. Uh, well, when I'm, yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, so if I'm not going out, yeah. yeah, well, um, well, I guess that's the thing. I think it became easier as an adult when I really became conscious of what my value, where, where my value was coming from, for myself. Where does, where does the, the rich and uh, the richness and depth in life come from for me, what nourishes me, what feeds me. And I love hanging out with people. I'm a very social creature at times. Um, I love good conversation. I love places with lots of noise. I love people watching. I love a lot of sound. I love it all. Um, but a lot of the time that stuff that really nourishes me doesn't happen in those environments. Um, it happens um, – in my own spaces, it happens when I'm tuned into the natural world around me. It happens when I'm deeply journeying with whatever emotions are coming up um, in my life, uh, and it happens, yeah, in between, in between all the stuff. And I suppose once I realised how valuable that was to me and how much that fed me, and um, how much I can't also I can't sit around all the time and read poetry books at dinner parties. Um, <laughs> Uh, or be really hungover all the time, kind of impede stuff, uh, then it, it sort of made it much easier to always say, to say yes to that. I mean, that's the thing is when you say no to, no to other people, you're saying yes to yourself. So I suppose it was just about finding what the yes was for. Okay. But it also doesn't, you can't be too insular because then what are you creating art about? Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I, True. And I, <laughs> true. Um, <laughs> and uh, I, I find it interesting how um, the, the balance is always shifting between those yeses and no. Like, so so sure. saying, like, sometimes I feel for weeks on end, like, an extrovert. Like, I just want to go out and socialize and talk to as many people as yeah. I can. And other times I'm like, please go away from me. Stop calling me. I yeah. need to focus on this stuff. I need to be with myself. Yeah. So that, that, that balance, like yeah. it's not like, well, that's the thing, yeah. right? It's like, you've got to fill the well, but it just depends which well needs filling. You know, people say you've got to, you know, you've got to fill the well, like you've got to love yourself first. You've got to give to yourself first. Mm. Um, but it's just that that means different things at different times. Yeah. Like you know, it, could, it could mean going Sometimes you need to be filled up with music. That's, yeah. you know, or other people's affection yeah. or their touch or yeah, whatever. Totally. Yeah. Or stories or the sights or the smells or anything, you know, sometimes you need to be filled up from the external world. Yeah. Um, but sometimes it's the quiet spaces that fill you up. Um, and I suppose that comes down to the listening as well. Uh, and I feel that we live in a time where there's so much input, so much information input all of the time. We're often surrounded by distant traffic noise. Um, groups of people 
our phones are giving us huge quantities of information. Scrolling through a Facebook feed for even a couple of minutes is miles more than we would have gotten in a day once upon a time. You know, it's, um, it takes a lot to silence that. It takes time and takes separation from it all. Uh, and that's, that's the thing with tuning in and really feeling and listening. And at, at the end of the day, the, the artist's job is, is to feel is to feel and express the things that most people aren't conscious of or um, are really uncomfortable with. And that's how you end up with such tortured artists and so many dead artists, really, is that it's, it's plumbing the depths of the human experience. It's the extraordinary heights and the horrifying lows and the people who go there are the artists, the feelers, the dreamers, the people navigating the whole spectrum of the human experience you know. It takes courage, I think, to do that. Or yeah, and a little bit of madness. <laughs> I think, yeah, a little bit of madness, yeah. yeah, yeah. doesn't hurt. Certainly a bit of fearlessness. And determination, total determination, mm. you know. Mm. But it's rich, you know. It's just precarious, I think. Just the difficult thing as well. I mean, that's the thing also, like running through all of this. How do you do those things? How do you go all the way down, all the way up and not end up dying of a coke overdose you know that's yeah. you know and um how do you kind of walk the fine line between all of these things <laughs> creating the work of significance but not losing yourself in it yeah staying integral to what you're working on and what you feel really needs to be said but also understanding the pathways to the platforms that will allow it to be heard you know, it's this like constant yeah. constant backwards and forwards i think one one point that helped me because uh, I still think sometimes about certain things in um, very black and white terms. Mm. It's like, okay, I've worked out the rule here. Like, there's, like I'm always trying to work out the, the underlying rule. Mm -hmm. But I've come to a place where I realize that even once I've reached this rule, just how life is, it, that rule will change and evolve as well. So Absolutely. I can never be like, great, I've worked it out once and for all. Let's just keep applying this. Like... Mm -hmm. um, so what's an example of that? Mm. I guess I'm just talking about, I'm reminding myself that life is not black and white and there's no black and white options and that I feel more empowered and more um, grounded within myself to have my own experience of mm. life. Mm -hmm. With, with the creativity and everything mm -hmm. that comes, you know, with it. Mm -hmm. um, when, so I feel much more present and dynamic when I realize it's always changing and it's changing so, it's changing every single moment of every single day. Like yeah. it, it's, uh, so, and realizing that I'm like, so first there was a little bit of overwhelm. Like I can't, po can't possibly keep up. I can't possibly understand everything that's happening in any given moment. And then I just surrender. I'm like, I can't, I can't know it. So yeah. all I can know is this right now. Yeah. And just that has helped me silence like everyone else's sort of input and all the yeah. input from social media and everything, yeah. Yeah. you know, saying, oh, try this, try that. Don't do this, do that. Yeah. <laughs> and, and instead I'm like, well, I'm already overwhelmed. Yeah. And all I can do is just be here now yeah. and listen. And yeah, 
feel what feels right thing. to me. I mean, the whole point, right, is that um, the whole history of art is all and and creation is all around people experiencing where they are and expressing it. Mm. That that's totally where it comes from. Mm. And there's this weird other side effect as well, where we have suddenly access to all this information about everyone who ever was, and all the things they ever did, and what order they did them in, and who they did them with. And I feel as though there's this whole other, that's a whole other area of sort of external pressure to be conscious of. Uh, and it's sort of this great tool at the same time. I mean, we have wonderful things where you can go and, you know, look up your favorite people in the whole world and probably find them in a lecture giving advice, which is a pretty incredible thing. Mm. Horrifically amazing thing <laughs> to be able to do. I mean, totally inconceivable. Mm. 10 years ago? Yeah. 20 years? Whatever. So yeah, it's becoming so more more finite, uh, more um, yeah, more detailed. So but at the yeah. same time, you can't be where those people were, expressing what those people did in the way that those people did. All you can do is be the thing that you are, because that's where the, the gold is. That's the wonderful thing. I mean, there's that whole thing from the sort of spiritual aspect where you say, you know, um, everyone is the universe experiencing itself in a different way. And, and as a result of that, you have to do all the things that you feel naturally inclined to do. That's your job. Mm. You must be you to your utmost degree. That's your sole function. You can't look around too much and compare and, and try and navigate based on your expectations that you develop based on what's going on around you. That completely undoes what the whole point of it is. So everyone's path is completely and utterly unique. Yeah. <laughs> How have you done that for yourself? Like, how have you come into your uniqueness and yeah, um, kept returning to it? By, ba by battling, I imagine. It's like the answer to that. Um, by, by stoically continuing along that path against what odds sometimes. Uh, I've always been really stubborn and I think that's really helped me. Uh, very early on in the game, probably when I was about six or seven, I decided that I was weird and that I couldn't figure out how I fitted into anything around me. And so the best thing to do was just be the most me I could be. Uh, and uh, when I was sort of, I guess, 10 to, 10 to 14 or something, my mantra was, uh, if you're going to be weird, be the best weird you can be. So that was really about uh, if I was going to go out the door in clothes that were going to make people stop on the street and say, holy shit, look what that girl is wearing, uh, then it better be the thing that I felt the most in my heart, you know, I wanted to be the greatest expression of the thing that I felt so that I felt at least, um, I'd done the best job that I could. And then I know that I can be confident in that. You <laughs> say, this is the very best weird that I can possibly be. That's a total achievement. And I'm happy to be confident in that. And then as I got older, I just sort of stuck with that, I guess, and sort of trapezed my way through different, um, different subcultures with, with clothes and piercings and tattoos and weird hairstyles and um, different um, styles of, of creativity through art and performance and, um, yeah, writing and all kinds, of, all kinds of different things, immersive design and puppetry and all that stuff mm -hmm. and circus and things. Um, and, and part of it was that I always had an agreement with myself about reflecting to myself externally how I was internally. Um, as a way of navigating. And if I ever felt like I was losing a grasp on where I was, I would go back to how I was dressing, how I was wearing my hair, how I was doing my makeup. Uh, and I would rebuild from the outside in 
and I would create the world that I wanted to be in on top of my body and that would help me wow. with cultivating the space inside. Wow. Um, so, and, so in yeah. order to create that outside world, you had to have a sense of what the inside was as well. Yeah, yeah, but sometimes it's like fishing, you know. I feel it on the end of the – not so much now. Now it's pretty much always right at, right at my fingertips, but I've been practicing a long time now. What, what, what exactly? That sort of sense of, of who I am. Okay. Um, I, don't, I don't feel that sense anymore of, of having to sort of hold the space – physically on myself in how I dress and indicating externally how I feel internally or the space I want to occupy internally. I don't feel the pressure of that anymore because now I do carry it inside of me all of the time. It doesn't matter to me whether people can see it or not. Okay, <laughs> I'm aware of it. Um, but back then it was sort of more like feeling it on the end of a fishing line and thinking, you know, I can feel it over there somewhere, but I want it here and I don't quite know how to get it here. It's like being a great big lure. <laughs> um, and I have, you know, funny little things that happened in the course of my life of that kind of process. Like, um, you can see up here, you can see the very edge of something, but I have stars tattooed on my head under there. There's a couple oh, of yeah. stars tattooed on the side of my head. Cause for a while that half of my head was, was shaved. And then for a while it was a mohawk, but that was one of the things that was when I was 19. Uh, and I was going through this phase. I realized every maybe year I would slip into this, this space of expectation of myself and I would change what I was doing and how I was dressing and I would get lost again because I went into the space of shoulds. Uh, and so I had the stars tattooed on my head as a reminder to myself that um, I couldn't possibly fit in anywhere because I was just fitting in with myself. Um, and it was nice to have a physical, a weird physical reminder. Now, there's no point in trying to dress in corporate clothes if you've got stars tattooed on your head. You're really, you know, you've signed up for something. <laughs> yeah. So that was part one of my talk with Luna. Next week, I'll have the other half of the talk where we get into the artist way and the different tools which are included in that book as a part of the creative awakening process or the creative rediscovery process. On a personal note, I actually believe that we always have this creativity inside us. Some, some people don't believe that. I believe that's because they've been cut off from it for such a long time. And I felt that way myself, like, wow, I'm really not that creative. I wish I was more creative like that person or that person. But actually, there is an indwelling well of infinite creativity, which just needs to be, like, just the surface of it needs to be uncovered. And we need to learn how to bring that through us, clear the space for it to flow. So that is what we get into uh, more so in the second half of this this talk and that will air next week it sounds like I'm on a really fancy radio show that will <laughs> that will air next week and uh, yeah that'd be good one I'll see you then <laughs>